Last week we began looking at a, a, a many, just a couple of sermons I've called Follow. And we looked at uh, 12 disciples last week, 12 young men that Jesus called to follow him. And, uh, and we learned that these 12 young men didn't behave in such positive ways. And uh, Luke, in his account of these disciples' lives, included a very interesting chapter, Luke chapter 9, where these guys don't get a very good customer service review. You know, if they, if they, if someone, if they were living in today's world, uh, on, on the different um, Google feedback, these disciples wouldn't have got such good reviews. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, we see that Luke, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. How cool is that? That Jesus gives his disciples power and authority. Uh, anyway, I'll get to there in a minute. And so, um, so he sends them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so these 12 disciples, everyone say these 12. These 12 were called, they were sent, and they were, they were given power and authority, and they were sent. Called, sent, with power and authority. Yet in this chapter, in Luke chapter 9, in the rest of the chapter, we saw that these guys, they, well, they had some trouble. They had, uh, they had flaky faith. They sort of relied upon the natural realm instead of looking to a supernatural God. They fell asleep while praying. What would you give them out of 10 for that? You can't give them a 10. <laughs> I mean, come on, Jesus was, having, uh, he, Jesus was having an encounter with heaven, meeting Moses and Elijah, and these guys were having a nap. Come on, guys, they can get better than that. They were afraid to ask Jesus questions. Jesus said some stuff, and they were a little bit unsure. Can I go to Jesus with my questions? These guys, then they fought amongst themselves. They wondered who was the greatest. You guys don't do that, do you? Yes. Who said that? <laughs> and then these, these troubled 12, they were selfish and proud just because someone else wasn't in their church or their youth group or their, or their little circle of friends. They decided, you know what, we're more important than them. And they behaved in shameful ways. There was a time when, when people weren't accepting Jesus. And so James and John, they went to Jesus and said, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? I don't think they, those guys didn't really understand the heart of Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse, verse 55, we see that Jesus turned and rebuked them. And he said, you don't know what kind of spirit you were of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. And so what we looked at last week, we saw that Jesus wasn't looking for perfect people to call and send. Jesus didn't look for the, the, the A-team, didn't look for the Avengers. Mind you, none of those are perfect people either. He didn't look for the superheroes. He just looked for 12 people who were willing to follow. And before we get too harsh with the 12, we discover that we probably see ourselves at times, we can be a little bit like them at times. Well, I can be, maybe not you, in our attitudes, in our behaviours. And the good news is that Jesus didn't choose the 12 based on who they were. Jesus doesn't choose us based on who we were. He chooses us based on who we will become. And history records that 10 out of those 12 would die a martyr's death, extending the cause of the king and the kingdom. 
Only one of those 12 would die of old age. And, um, and so these 12 men, they accomplished some great things because of their willingness to follow Jesus and surrender. We learned that their failure wasn't final. Their failure wasn't final. Who feels they've ever failed Jesus? Yeah, that's, the most, that's a lot of our hands. The good news is our failure isn't final. And we learned that in the story of these 12 disciples, that no matter what they did and how, how foolish and brash and unloving and sleepy they were, that, uh, that Jesus didn't reject them. And so um, they're just willing to follow. And I can't but help wonder what Jesus could do if he could find another one or another two or another 12 or another 120, 130 people that would say, you know what, I'm willing to follow. I'm, I'm willing to surrender to Jesus. I, I can't help but wonder in the society and world that we live in, what, what God could do with the people, with a young person, with an old person who says, you know what, God, I, I know I'm messed up, but I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to serve and I'm willing to, for you to use me. However, I, 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 Can you imagine what God could do? Dan, could you imagine what God could do if, if, if everyone here got an understanding that God wants to use them in a way to touch people? It would it, it'd be revolutionary if, if each one of us could take hold of that truth and, and be a fool for Jesus, as you shared a few weeks ago. And so I want to turn my attention to Luke chapter 10. Last week we looked, looked at Luke chapter 9. This week we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to go to verse 1. So we've talked about the 12. Now I want to talk about the 72. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. What we see is that Jesus turned his attention away from the 12 famous guys. He turned his attention away from the 12 guys who had big names. The guys who were the apostles, he turned his attention away from them and onto 72 others. He doesn't reject the 12. We know that because the 12 go on to do amazing things. But I think here Luke particularly is highlighting that the call of Jesus, the call of Jesus is not limited to a small handful of people. The number in Scripture, there is a number of different manuscripts we talk about, was it 72 people, was it 70 people? Depending on the manuscript you read or the translation you have, it would say 70 or 72. And so whatever the number was, Jesus was particularly relating to a passage back in the book of Numbers where, uh, I'll read the story. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's word to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was, on upon, that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Here Jesus very clearly is connecting the dots way back to Numbers where God took something of his anointing that was on himself and Aaron and he placed it on others. And, and what we read here is that these guys only did that once. They only prophesied once. The, Holy, the, the Spirit that was on them only enabled them and empowered them to do it once. But the good news is that we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us and dwells in us. 
And so when, when God calls us and fills us, he doesn't say, well, oh, sorry, your, your anointing or your calling is just for a one-off thing. It is what he calls us to be, who he calls us to be. And so Jesus says to the, um, he sends out 72 other disciples. And these 72 other disciples, well, these guys, they, 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 they hadn't hung out with Jesus for three years. These 72 disciples, they weren't the ones that had spent, you know, intensive learning time with Jesus. They, they didn't have three years of training. These 72 didn't have the three years of experience they had with Jesus. These 72 weren't even as close to Jesus as the other 12. But still Jesus chose the 72 and he chose the broader group in the same way that he chose the 12. And he sends the broader group in the same way that he sends the 12. And he gives the broader group the same Holy Spirit and authority and power in the same way that he sends the 12. Luke chapter 4, this were his instructions. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. I got really excited over this passage. So while I have a drink, you can sense my anticipation because I'm going to go really fast in a second because I'm really excited about this bit. We should have the girl from Eponema just on standby so we can have a bit of music. Can you just go to that little table? Thanks, Ali. Hey, it's your birthday soon, is that right? Oh, 16. Let's give him a big happy birthday. Hey? We can talk about that later. All right, who was I up to? Oh, who's excited now? Okay, my, my, I've now wet my whistle. Okay. These were his instructions to the 72. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Now, this is almost word for word, the same mandate that Jesus gave the chosen 12. The same task of reaching a community. The 72 were given the same task to reach a community and to reach a city and reach a nation and reach a world. See, that that task was never meant to be contained to just the the 12. It's not just meant to be contained to those who have, you know, the, the... the, the, the pastors or the leaders or the elders or the connect group leaders or, or those who seem to have it all together. Jesus was giving the task of reaching a city and nation. He was giving it to the broader group. And he said to them, the harvest is great. Tell the person next to you, the harvest is great. Then say with a sad face, but the workers are few, like Eeyore would. Friends of ours in, uh, in Shepparton. Uh, so for those who don't know our story, we've been here almost three years 
In fact, last weekend was the weekend we would have visited for our, for our, no, that would have been our interview and trial sermon. So obviously we passed that one. Um, Friends, Bows and Shepparton, that's where we came from. That's what I was trying to say. We came from Shepparton and uh, they were farmers. They still are farmers. And uh, they had a lovely lot of land and they grew barley and oat and wheats that cycled through and canola. Who loves seeing canola fields? Gee, they're beautiful. Um, and so you drive through country, Victoria, and I'm sure country New South Wales where there's water and you'd see fields of green. I see fields of green. That wasn't a very good int- attempt at that, was it? That's all right. Okay. Anyone else want to have a go of that? No? Okay. It's not karaoke. In a good year, those hills of theirs and their plains would be covered in crops. And when they looked at the harvest, when they looked at the harvest, they didn't go, oh, no. The harvest is so big. What am I going to do? But they weren't discouraged when they saw the size of the harvest. In fact, they were excited because this is what they sowed for. The harvest for our friends was a time of excitement. It was a time when they said, you know, this is what we have been living for. Our our existence is determined by the harvest. The bigger the harvest, the bigger the crop, the bigger the income, the bigger the return, happy days. So for a farmer, a harvest is a good thing. A harvest is something they get so excited about. It means a great blessing is coming their way. But in order to turn the blessing into or in order to turn the harvest into blessing, they needed to do something. It's well and good to say, hey, check out the size of our harvest. You know, I could, uh, if it stayed there, it wouldn't be any blessing to them. The harvest requires action. And so they work not out of, well, gee, well, we better go and work, you know, poor old us, we've got to harvest all this stuff. No, no, no. They went out knowing as we do what we're called to do, as we bring in the harvest, we know it's going to be a blessing to our family. So they went out, they worked day and night to bring in the harvest. In fact, one of the very few reasons that they would ever skip church would be because we're bringing in the harvest or once because they were spraying for bugs. Jesus says, Jesus says the harvest is great. How do you feel about that? Overwhelmed? Depressed? Oh, man. What am I going to do about that? Jesus is saying the harvest is great. He says that the, the harvest is, friends, that's fantastic news. There, and Jesus is talking about the harvest. He's not talking about oats or, or canola or, or barley or wheat. Jesus is talking about souls. Jesus is talking about lives that are, that are yet to come into relationship with them. Jesus is talking about people who can find hope and life and healing and peace and joy. The harvest is great. But the workers are few. And then that's the problem because, because if my friends didn't get the harvest in in time, what would happen to any people who grew up in regional settings? 
What happens if you don't bring in the harvest? It goes to pot. It's lost. It's wasted. How that must break the heart of the Father. To see a harvest that is great. And to, and to know if, we, if, if, the, if the harvest isn't brought in, the risk is great of, 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 of pestilence, of disease, of, of, of mold, of rain, of, of all the rest. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. We need to do something about it. And so Jesus says to the 72, not to the 12, he says to the 72, okay, I want you guys to pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send workers. And I think what Jesus wanted them to do here is, uh, notice Jesus didn't say, no, I want you to, uh, to be the, the workers, although he does. I think Jesus wanted his disciples to notice the size of the harvest. I think Jesus wants us to notice that when we go to work or go to school or, or, or meet our neighbours or go to the gym or have a coffee, I think Jesus wants us to notice that there is a life there who's valuable to him. There's someone that's sitting around the table with you. There's someone across the fence line, someone willing their garbage bin at the same time as you. There's someone around you who is, who is ready who is a part of God's desire that they would know him. The harvest is great. There's people all around us that are ready. It's what Jesus said. He says it another time. The fields are white unto harvest. Either Jesus was not telling the truth or it's true. Yeah? I can't see any other option. It's either God's word. It's either Jesus was true when he said the harvest, the fields are white unto harvest. Jesus is saying uh, the people are ready. And so he wanted his disciples to, to notice the size of the harvest and instead of sit in our, in our, in our churches and go, oh, no, man, now, I, now I've Mark's preached that message and now I feel bad because, you know, I haven't, I haven't told anyone the Romans road or shared my faith. Uh, you know, if that's the, you're, you're missing it. If you're going to feel bad about this, I want you, like my friends who are farmers, to notice that when the harvest is great, that that is great blessing. That is an exciting time, that there are people all around us that are waiting for one of us to be used by the King of glory to bring people into relationship in Him and to find what you found, to find the life that you found. The harvest is great. We should be excited that the fields are ready. It shouldn't burden us. We shouldn't go, oh, wow, now I've got to, no, no, no. We should be, you know what, I want to do that. I want to talk to people. I want to, because they're right. The harvest is ready. It should get us out of bed in the morning. People all around us. Maybe this changes your view on evangelism. Maybe it should change our view on evangelism. It seemed, it seemed back then, to the, well, Jesus said it back then and today that the work is a few. So I'm praying as I prepare this message, I'm praying that, that God would change our perspective of the harvest. The, the, the people who don't, people, there's a whole bunch of people who don't know Jesus, who don't know the life who don't know the joy of forgiveness, who, who don't know what it is to be connected to heaven. There's people there struggling in all sorts of, uh, in their world. 
hopeless, helpless. And I've been praying that, that God would change our perspective of that. That the harvest is not, a, it's not, a, it's not something we've uh, we, we got to do because, well, well, you know what, may as well do it. It's something we want to do. That there's people. That there's, there are all sorts of people and they're ripe and they're ready. You might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not an evangelist. I, I don't know my Bible that well. You know, I haven't been a Christian that long. You might be thinking, you know what, I, who am I? I? I'm really a nobody. I'm really, I, I'm really, uh, I don't feel like anyone. And if you feel like that, that's perfect. Because you're just one of the 72. You're just one of the 72. I'm not one of the, those famous 12 disciples. I'm not one of the ones that had it all going for them. I'm not, one of, I'm not as bold as Peter. I, don't, you know, I haven't got the, 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 the faith of these guys. I'm just one of the 72. That's exactly who Jesus wants you to be. Just one of the crowd. The harvest is great. I was praying in our, in our prayer. We had a great prayer meeting this morning, didn't we? It's fantastic. If our churches and our people got hold of the size of the harvest, our churches wouldn't be big enough. Man, we'd have some car park problems. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? You're thinking, yes, but not really. No. <laughs> It'd be a great problem to have. But the ch- across the, and Kate said it before, um, God, God is doing something. I've, been, I've had the privilege in the last few weeks to sit around a, a number of tables with pastors and leaders and community leaders, and I know God is doing something in the prophetic realm. God is just doing And so if you can make it on Tuesday night to hear Pastor Larry Sparks, you will be encouraged, you'll be inspired. You know, the, the, the role of the prophetic is, is, is bringing God's now word to our city. And I really think this is going to be a key word for our city. And so if you can make it, come along at 7 o'clock on um, Tuesday. But I see, I've said that we had our mayoral prayer evening this Wednesday. Over 200 people gathered with our mayor and councillors to pray God's blessing on our city. How good is that? God is doing something. God is doing something in our churches and, and there's, there's something happening, there's something stirring, which I'm excited for because it's all about harvest. It's all about the harvest. It's all about reaching people with the gospel and the good news about Jesus. And so, so Jesus says, he chooses the 72 disciples and he sends them out and says, hey guys, there's a big harvest. There's a lot of opportunity. And he gives them the same job description. He gives them the same power and authority as the 12. And he gave them the same mandate. He said to them, heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of heaven is near. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we wipe even the dust off your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. But know this, the kingdom of God is near. Maybe this is where James and John got it wrong. Maybe they thought, well, if people don't want Jesus, well, we'll call down fire and consume them. Jesus isn't saying that at all. I think what he's identifying is that people who reject him, there is an outcome. There is a risk. There is a risk of a, of, of, of well, we know that. Jesus came to save us. And the, the flip side of not being saved is uh, eternity away. We don't use hell much anymore, do we, the word? 
Maybe it's unpopular. If you make it nice, you'll say it's an eternity away from God. Jesus said there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not a very nice place to be. But more important, I think more, as important as that is that people are missing out on relationship with Jesus. Not just for eternity, but now. So Jesus is saying, you know, if people reject you, he says, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. If someone rejects you, if, if, you, if you go and share with someone, I love what Pastor Zoran suggested and Ali talked about it. You know, if someone, why don't you make a deal with God? It's a good deal, I thought. I've made that deal. If someone starts a conversation with me, I'll, uh, I'll step into that conversation and, 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 and bring Jesus into it. If, if someone's, well, I don't know, maybe we need to think through, why, are we, why don't we like talking about Jesus? I don't know. I like deals. Who likes getting good deals? Ozbargain.com.au if you're looking for good deals. Anyone else subscribe to Ozbargain? <laughs> Jeremy. It's a good website. It's a great website. You'll, you'll find all the pizza deals. You find all the technology deals. You find all the eBay deals and all the codes you can put into your websites. You can find all the... I love talking about good deals. I love talking about all the discounts you can get and the best time to... and how, and how to, to maximise your trips overseas, getting your money back at the airport. I love a good deal. If you want a good deal, come and talk to me about how to find a good deal for whatever you want. You know, I want to tell you something. Jesus is a good deal. And I, and I wonder sometimes we can talk all about the stuff that we like to anyone about the football team. You can talk up your football team even if they're the worst team in the world. And yet sometimes we struggle to talk about up Jesus when he is the best deal. When he is something worth talking about. When he is something worth sharing. And if people reject that, they're not rejecting you. Jesus goes on to say that they are rejecting him. They are rejecting the God who sent him. And I've heard countless stories of friends and family who have come to faith because someone prayed, because someone didn't give up, because someone might have shared a message and the door was shut in their face, but they kept praying and kept believing and kept trusting and kept praying to the Lord of the harvest I've heard dozens and dozens of stories of people's hearts that have been warmed to the love of Jesus because of prayer. And so, next part, because that's not the bit I'm really excited about. At that same time, so the same time we're talking about is the same time that, uh, that well, the disciples actually come back. Did I read that bit? Not yet. We'll get there in a minute. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing verse. And said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Here's one of those verses where you discover the presence and the working of the entire Godhead. We find a reference and activity of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what they're doing in this verse is that they're all celebrating. Something's just happened that has, that has, that has had Jesus and been 
filled with the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit, talking to Father God, who is pleased because something has just happened. In this verse, Jesus is saying, we've got to look at what's happened that has caused heaven to celebrate. What is it that's just happened that's caused God the Father, God the Son, and God His Holy Spirit to rejoice and celebrate? And it says here because, it says, Father, it's because you have revealed these things. You've hidden them from those who think they've got it all together and you reveal these things to those who are childlike. Two questions I'm wrestling with here is, what did God reveal? What are these things? And the other one is, who did he reveal it to? And I think the answer has something to do with the 72 I think the answer has something to do with the broader group of people who had no names, who were unknown. But I think something that excited the heart of heaven is found in this verse. Now, Jesus told them to, you know, to go into the harvest field, go out, you know, send them out in pairs, which I think is a good idea. If you're wanting to talk about Jesus, take someone with you. Luke, in Luke chapter 9, last week's message, we, we saw how the... the, the 12, we saw how they struggled, the famous ones struggled. But in Luke chapter 10, while I'm sure the 72 struggled, Luke doesn't record that. Luke heads a different direction. Luke is intentionally trying to bring some other truth to us. And in verse 17, we're going back a few verses now. Um, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Hey, they were excited. Yes, Jesus told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the Tell the person next to you all the power of the enemy. Hang on, these weren't, these weren't the famous 12. These weren't the special ones. These were just the 72 who I can't find their names written anywhere in the Bible. But they were given all authority over the power of the enemy. And so can you imagine the scene? They have just come back. They have just gone on a trip and they have seen demons cast out. They've seen people set free. They've seen people with mental illness healed and sitting sober. They've seen lame walk. They've seen God do amazing things. They've seen the kingdom of heaven touch the, the kingdoms of this world. And they came back pretty excited and they went and saw Jesus and they were overwhelmed by their spiritual authority. These guys were so overwhelmed that even the demons, even the the spiritual world obeys us. Even though they they were overwhelmed, but we have spiritual authority. And Jesus saw this from a bigger perspective. And I believe that when we can understand and operate in the spiritual authority that Jesus gives us, when, when the disciples operated in the spiritual authority that they had, we saw that Satan was cast down. We saw that Jesus identified that when an ordinary person like you and I can understand the spiritual authority that God's given us, then the enemy's power is diminished over a place, over a city, over a family, over a life. And perhaps the reason that, hell, that, that, that the Godhead was celebrating is because these 72 ordinary unknown followers of Jesus really started to understand their spiritual authority. They really started to understand their spiritual identity. 
And when we, when, 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 when you and I can understand who God's called us to be and the authority that he gives us, I tell you what, the power of the enemy falls. It decreases, it diminishes. Jesus saw when the, when the 72 saw, when the 72 understood their authority, Satan fell from heaven. There was a, there was a greater power that was demolished and, um, uh, and, What's the word? I'm stuck for a word. I don't know what I'm trying to say. A, great, a, great, a greater power was destroyed when, when you and I, when the 72, understood the authority that Jesus gives them. That's what I'm trying to say. There's probably a word for that. Okay. Let's land this plane. I know, I, I know the 12 had a pretty bad rap sheet. I know these famous 12 whose, whose names are written throughout your Bible for everyone to see. Not, not just in the Gospels do we come across the 12. As you, as you flick through into the book of Revelation, we see the 12, the disciples, the, 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 they're ruling the, the authority that they're given at the end. There's something significant about the 12 minus Judas that replaced him. These guys had an important role in the purpose and the plans of God. And we're grateful for our 12. We're grateful for the disciples that gave their lives to simply follow. I'm grateful for the simple fisherman who said, I'll follow Jesus. I'm grateful for Matthew, the tax collector, who, who in spite of a, a life that was you know, financially abusing people, he gave his heart to Jesus and he followed. I'm grateful for Thomas, even though that he was a doubter. I'm so grateful for Thomas because history would record that he would go across to India and, and he would bring the gospel of Jesus to, to my nation. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those 12. I'm grateful for those well-known disciples. And their names are recorded for all to see. So I was wondering, maybe the reason for the celebration in heaven is found in a verse that, that I skipped on purpose. See, the 12 are well known on earth. Their names are written throughout our scriptures. But what about the 72? Their names aren't written anywhere. Jesus said to the 72, don't rejoice because of the spiritual authority you have. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. See, there there is another thing that brings great joy to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's when we understand that our efforts and achievements may never be recognised on earth, but will be recognised in heaven. Whatever we do for the King is recorded and celebrated by heaven itself. And we need to strive, I need to strive, stop, I need to stop striving to please man and the accolades of man and the approval of man and understand that my life is done to serve one, the king, the audience of one, God himself. And for me, I think there's two thoughts here that, that brings great joy to the Godhead. Remember, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all got pretty excited at this point. And I think it has to do with perhaps two things. I, I suggest it to you, and I, I want you to encourage you to pray about it and think about it. That perhaps the thing that brings great joy in the court of heaven, the two things that bring great joy in the courtroom of heaven, is when you can understand the spiritual authority that you have 
and when you can understand that your life is given to serve the audience and the attention of one. That you may never, your, your name, you may never become well known on this earth, but you can become well known in heaven. And perhaps, perhaps for me, think about it, maybe that's why God was so excited. That when some people took hold of the fact that they understood their spiritual authority and they understood that they're called to serve Jesus and not strive serving the, the achievements and the success of man. I think, that, that's, my, that's my thoughts. As, as I was preparing, I felt God say, you know what, for me, you know, the thing that brings my father great, my heavenly father great joy is when I can understand the spiritual authority that I have. I don't need to be afraid of the power of the enemy. I have authority over the works of the enemy. And when I step into that place, and when I understand I'm not doing it for my own name, I'm not doing it so people say, hey, look, there's Mark. Hey, there's Hunter Christian Church. When I understand that I'm doing that and my name is recorded in heaven, I think, I think that brings great joy to my heavenly Father. I get a worship team up, please. The year was 1863. Dwight L. Moody was a poorly educated, unordained shoe salesman who felt called to preach the gospel. Early one morning, he and some friends gathered in a hayfield, in a harvest field, for a season of prayer and confession and, and, and consecration. And his friend said this. His friend said, The world is yet to see what God can do and for who and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Moody was, was moved when his friends gave that words to him. And so he later went to a meeting where a friend of his, Charles Spurgeon, was speaking. And he recalls the words spoken by his friend. He goes, the world is yet to see. With and for and through and in. Just a man. Any man. He didn't say he had to be an educated man or a brilliant man, or anything else. Just a man. And I'll include that, when I say man, I'm talking about us, men and women. The world is yet to see what God can do through a man or a woman or young or old or black or white. The world is yet to see what God can do in and through and for in a, in a person who is fully consecrated to him. D.L. Moody went on to say, well, by the Holy Spirit in him, he'd be one of those men. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in him, he made a decision. You know what? If the world is yet to see what God can do through a life that is fully dedicated to him, an ordinary life, a plain life, a life that you know has no name, has no reference, just an ordinary, unknown person. If the world is yet to see, you know, I'm wanting to be one of those men. How about you? We live in exciting times. God is about to do something that is going to sweep through, I really sense a sweep through our nation and particularly sweep through our city. And God is looking for ordinary men and women to, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to say, you know what, I want to be that person. 
I want to be the one that God chooses to use to, 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 to reach a harvest field. I want to be one of those who, who understand their spiritual authority, their spiritual identity, and understand we're not doing this for ourselves, we're doing it for the king. I want to be that type of guy. I want to be that type of person. D.L. Moody went on to found three Bible schools, and uh, for over 150 years he has been trained, his, his institute has been training and sending workers into the house, thousands of workers. Unknown people, unknown harvesters, reaping a harvest that brings great delight to Jesus. What about you? You may have, you may never heard of D.I. Moody, D.L. Moody, but heaven has. As we close this morning, I just want to ask that question. Are you willing to be one of those unknown? Are you willing to, to be one of those who understands the joy of seeing a harvest and being willing to understand you've got a role to play? But I tell you what, the world is yet to see. Man alive, the world is yet to see what God can do through young men, young women, older. The, the world is yet to see. We've seen some great revivals happen in the past. We've seen God do amazing things in history, but God's not done. Will you be willing? Will you be to say, like Deal Moody did, you know, I, I'm choosing. I can be that. Anyone else? Give me a wave and say, Mark, that's me. I want to be that type of guy. I want to be that type of young person. I want to be that type of, of, of old person. I want to be the one that God says, you know what, I can use you. Why don't you all stand with me, please? I'm not sure the last time you felt God call you. I want to close our eyes just for a minute. I, want to, I really want you to think about this, and I'll be finished in just a minute. But my prayer is that you would get a sense of a call from heaven. No, not a call from Mark, not a, not, 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 not a pep talk. Or I am praying that God's Spirit shows you and, call, and gives you a sense of, the fact that he's called you to make a difference in your family, in your workplace. You're not called to occupy space and to waste time. So I just want everyone's eyes closed just for a minute. But I just want, if you're here this morning, you're just sensing a call of God on you. Just give me a little wave and say, Mark, I'm sensing that. I'm, I'm sensing that. I'm sensing that. I thank you for those that are responding and I want to declare to those hands up or hands down, I want to declare that call is for every single one. But it's your choice. Father God, I pray that you'll help us to be the men and the women that you need us to be. Lord, to reach a city, to reach a nation, to, to reach a harvest field that brings great joy to you. And Father, I pray that you help each one of us to walk out of these doors confident in our spiritual authority, understanding who you've called us to be, where you've called us to go. And I thank you, Lord, that you are going to do something significant through the lives of these young men and women 
through the lives of those who are listening to this message live or on podcast. Lord, I pray that each one of us would get a greater glimpse that you've called us to be one of the 72 and that whatever we do will be done in service to you. And Lord, I pray, I just know that when we take hold of that, that brings joy in heaven. Lord, we want to bring joy in heaven. We want to bring a, a, a we want to give the Holy Spirit and, your, and the Godhead to celebrate when we can take hold of who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. When we raise our hands, we're going to just sing this song.